Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse podcast, the official podcast of FilmPulse.net. This is episode number 121. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we have Kevin Rakestraw. How are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm decent. Doing decent. Decent. Watching some World Cup action. I'm all about World Cup. I'm actually surprised uh, that I got as many movies in as I did. I don't. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I don't know how I did this, but I did it. Yeah, same here. I there were some that I did not see because of the World Cup, but either way, I tried to fit in as much as I could. Today we'll be banging out two feature reviews. First will be Kat Candler's Hellion, and we'll be following that up with Phil Lord and Chris Miller's 22 Jump Street. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions, new on video on demand and DVD and Blu-ray releases. We'd be remiss in saying that we have been nominated for several awards this week. More the pod one, bodies. One more so than other. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't want things to get weird. It, oh no, it's already weird. Because we're already at the we're we're already at the weird stage. We're already at the stage of resentment. I I mean I'm and anger and jealousy. It's already there. Okay. I just you know, I don't want things to get weird and affect our relationship and our podcast that I'm appropriately praised. I think that it's interesting. You're appropriately not praised. You know I think that it's I think that it's interesting that we're discussing twenty two jump street because there there's a lot of parallels there yeah, there's, with what's happening here. There's there's a chasm in our bro romance right now <laughs> that needs to be discussed. But I don't think it will. I think it's just gonna get weird. We're gonna break up, we're gonna do our own separate podcast for like mm. fifteen, sixteen years, and then we're gonna have this like will they won't they and then we'll reunite and we'll talk about like the fourth reiteration of Spider Man. Yes. As our feature yes. review, and everyone's gonna praise it and just stand in ovation. I see all of these things happening. Yeah, this is all gonna happen. Drug so, abuse. Is just- so we got we got nominated for some pod bodies here. Uh, best podcast hosts group. We got nominated for our Ryan watches a movie podcast. Uh, we also got nominated for best podcasting duo. You and I. Oh yeah. How about that? Yep. Mm-hmm pretty exciting and and then podcasting superstar you got nominated correct and ryan got nominated and i didn't so we know who's the strong link in the first two nominations the duo and the group and we know who this who is the weak link yeah me (laughs) 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 oh god uh, Clearly, I am the weak link. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good boy. Uh, and we also got snubbed for best podcast. Which you would think with two podcasting superstars in your, you know, on your roster that you would get in there. But apparently no, not. No, apparently no. not. You know, it's just, that's just how it is. <clears throat> Sometimes, I mean, there's always next year. There's always know? next year. I would also like to point out that anytime that you refer to me or introduce me, I would like to be... I would like the the title pot body nominee, multiple pot body, multiple pod body nominee. Yeah, we need to um, create a little graphic that has like the laurels, yes. you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and put put in multiple pod body nominee. I already did it. I have business cards made up and everything. Oh, great! 
Okay, cool. Just for me. Just oh, for, just for you. Just for me because I, you know, it says podcasting superstar and I couldn't put that on notice. I think that I need to address you as podcasting <laughs> superstar Kevin Rakestraw from now on. It, I mean, it fits and it feels right. So I think you should. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, at any rate, let's, let's get on with the show here. Uh, let's talk about some of what we've been watching before getting into our first review. I, uh, did we start with you last week? I think so. I, th- I think we did. Uh, I saw witching and bitching. This came out this Friday. It's on video on demand right now. Okay. I really enjoyed this movie. So it's a Spanish horror comedy about two guys who rob, uh, like one of those cash for gold places. Nice. And they flee the police. And, and first of all, I should mention that they rob, they set up this elaborate robbery where one of them is dressed up as Jesus and the other one is dressed up like a green army man and a third one is dressed up like Spongebob Squarepants. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. They, so they, they rob this cash for gold place, they flee from the police and they happen upon a coven of witches who try to kill them. It's, it's happened all too often. It happens a lot these days, but... I will say that it is a very enjoyable movie, very frantic, chaotic movie. There's a lot going on. The dialogue's very fast and snappy. It's quite funny too. Like it, it actually works really well as a horror comedy. I have, I, have, I found myself laughing quite a bit. There's some like lowbrow stuff that happens, especially towards the end. There's this. There's something really crazy that happens. It's kind of gross, <laughs> um, but. In my review, I do have a review for this up on the site. I mentioned that it is kind of like, it kind of harkens back to the the old days of Peter Jackson and Sam Raimi. It's definitely got an Evil Dead 2 vibe to it. That sounds good. I like the sound of that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's basically all about, you know, these these two guys. So the one guy uh, played by uh, Hugo Silva is, he's divorced. He, it's... And it's his turn to take care of his son for the weekend. So his son goes along on this robbery with him. So, so the young kid is, is there the whole time as well. And he's trying to protect him. And he's actually, other than the robbery part, he's actually a good dad. He really cares for his son. And it's just about how he's trying to deal with this divorce and deal with his ex-wife uh, constantly yelling at him and nagging him and all this stuff and trying to prevent him from seeing his son. And and then the other guy, it's about, like, he his girlfriend is, like, too perfect. Like, she's just, she's too good, and he's tr- constantly trying to be as good as his girlfriend. So the, the whole movie is about the relationship between men and women and how, like, the women in these guys' lives are just constant or just too overbearing and bringing them down and then of course they happen upon this coven of witches who bring them down even more Mm. but it's it's really it's all done in a very fun tongue-in-cheek way it's not it's it doesn't feel like misogynistic or anything like that it's just uh but there is a lot of gross out stuff too and there's a lot of really cool effects work in it as well. So, like there's some CG towards the end that doesn't really work, but yeah. for the most part, it's pretty cool. Like there's a chase sequence 
where they're like running through this mansion and the witches are like flipping up on the walls and crawling on the ceiling and walls to, to catch them and stuff. And there's a lot of really weird stuff that happens, but it's just, it's just packed to the gills with fun stuff. It's just crazy. Craziness. It is. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And it's just highly recommend it. Very fun. I mean, it's still kind of a goof, like a goofball comedy. Yeah. So don't expect any like things serious with it, but well shot too. It looks really good. Is it better than Hocus Pocus? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'd say it's better (laughs) than Hocus Pocus. Good. That's good. That's, that's all I could think of when you were talking about it. My apologies to the people that made witching and bitching. And the end is just utterly ridiculous. I'm not going to say what happens, but it is ridiculous. Uh, I have two films that are complete opposite of Witching and Bitching, and these are both from 1946. Now, one is called The Best Years of Our Lives, directed by William Wyler. The other one is A Matter of Life, Life and Death, directed by Powell and Pressburger. So I came across both of these films, one because I'm digging into Powell and Pressburger movies, and the second one came by way of my wife through a Paul Auster book. Both 1946, both deal with the war. The Best Years of Our Lives is one of perhaps the first American films. It's actually made like one year after World War II, where they deal with servicemen coming home and trying to reintegrate themselves into society, even though society is, you know, kind of moved on without them. Mm-hmm, it sort mm-hmm. of looks into like the, the time warp that war is. So it's three servicemen that come back. They each have their own troubles, you know, drinking problems, a guy trying to find work. He's married to a woman that thought she married a rich guy and thought that her life was completely figured out only to find out that the only job experience this guy has is as a soda jerk. And the third guy, who is played by Harold Russell, is a real-life serviceman that lost both of his hands in the war. Well... I guess when he was working with some explosives, they accidentally went off and he lost both of his hands. And he has hooks for hands that they do not shy away from showcasing throughout the movie. <laughs> it it, it kind of feels like they do it like every time that he has to do something, it's like, oh, my God, see, this guy uses hook hands. But it does work, which is good. Uh, there are little bits of melodrama, which, you know, I do not like but it's not used excessively like I thought it was going to be. And it's more than made up for by the other aspects of the films, which is extremely genuine in its depiction of these guys coming coming home and trying to get themselves back into the swing of things, so to say. And they actually deal with a couple of, like, for 1946, some shocking topics. Like, at one point, there's a young girl that just defiantly says that she's going to break up a marriage that that is her new like that's her goal in life is to break up a marriage and she's just like yells it out to her parents and her parents are just like okay whatever (laughs) not the best idea but we support you and she's talking to her parents and saying like oh they have such a you know beautiful marriage and they wouldn't understand because they have everything so perfectly and then it's followed up with her mother and father essentially admitting that that at numerous points in their marriage they've mutually hated the shit out of each other which is 
again for 1946 that's it, it's a bit shocking to see that and then there's talk of divorce and people cheating on each other and all sorts of things but the main thing about this movie which won seven oscars by the way actually Ooh. nine there was like a memorial award and this is the first instance and only instance where a actor won two oscars for one role and that's the non-actor howard russell who they thought he was like a complete long shot to win his real Oscar. So they gave him sort of like a special award for like providing hope for veterans and stuff. But he ends up mm -hmm. winning the actual Oscar. So he's the only guy that won two for one role. And his performance in this is it's perfect. The way that he just brings so much honesty to the proceedings that it's unbelievable. And just to see him trying to cope with you know, losing his arms and stuff, and he's a young guy, and is goes back to see his fiance, and she still loves him, and he has trouble with it and everything. It's I can't. I'm surprised that it's not more famous and popular than it is. It's actually a really, really good film. Completely surprised me. And then this, I might have checked this one out. Yeah, and I mean, it's like close to three hours long, but. Honestly, looking back, I can't think of anything that you would cut out. Everything works perfectly. And there's actually a lot of good camera work in it, too, for 1946. And then the other one, Matter of Life and Death, is sort of this play on... There's a British officer, his plane's shot down, He's he has no parachute, so he's going to commit suicide, and he's on the phone with an American woman. They sort of fall in love. As he's just like... He's the most calm, cool, collected, I'm going to die guy that i've ever seen on film he's just wooing the socks off of this girl and he knows that in like two seconds he's jumping out of plane to his death but he's just laid back just flirting the shit out of this girl and she completely falls in love with him he jumps out of the plane they miss him the angels miss him in the fog so they don't catch him to bring him to the afterlife to heaven so through this like heavenly mishap he ends up living and then he meets up with the girl and they fall in love. But meanwhile, up in heaven, they got to, you know, correct this wrong. They got to bring him back because they haven't had a screw up in I don't know how many years. I forget what it is. So there's this whole thing of the afterlife and real life and trying to bring him back. And he has to state his case. He goes to like, he goes to heaven court to plead his case that he gets this, gets a second chance to stay on earth. And it's just, it's so much fun. I was completely surprised by this one as well. I'm surprised that this one's not more popular than it is. Hmm. Especially being a Powell and Pressburger film, because those guys are pretty big. Yeah, I never even heard of it. Yeah, completely under the radar for me. I mean, I know about all the other Powell and Pressburger films, but not this one. But I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, I might have to check that one out too. And again, this one has a lot of experimental film work in it. A lot of trick shots, like freeze framing, the action... Um, there's this whole, the way that they show the afterlife, like these immense sets that they show, they built this giant escalator, which is used as like the stairway to heaven that they ride on. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. Hmm. Both of them, 10 out of 10s. Wow. Yeah. Well, I saw one that, uh, was very nearly a 10 out of 10 for me and that's the great beauty. Finally watched this. I saw this. I was waiting to talk about this one. Yeah, like I finally just was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm going to get this done. Here we go. 
And this was kind of like a, a roller coaster ride for me as far as how I felt about it. Okay. Because at first, uh, when, when the film began, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This, this looks incredible. Like that opening party scene. And yeah. I was just like, oh my God, this is incredible. But then it kind of, it kind of dipped a little bit and I started getting bored with the story and I was like, all right, I'm feeling a little bit of a lull here, but then it, at one point it just got it just went back up and i was like completely enthralled by it and i and i can't pinpoint the exact moment when i was glued to the screen but i believe that it was during the montage that ends with him looking at the capsized ship hmm. i don't know if you remember that i don't know if i do remember that it was just like a musical montage it was just music okay and it's just like him you know, being downtrodden. And at the end, he like goes out on his like porch and there's like a giant ship that's like capsized. Hmm. You don't remember this? I don't remember this. God damn it. It was great. I mean, it looked like a music video and I loved it. It was done in slow motion. Maybe that helps. That doesn't. Nothing yep. helps. I have a terrible memory. Well, that's fine. I do too. I had to write that down or else I probably wouldn't have remembered it. Did you type it into your phone? Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, no I didn't that will make sense later there were certain things that I thought that I feel like this movie could have been trimmed up a little bit and if it was trimmed up a little bit it would have been a 10 out of 10 for me there were certain threads that I didn't that I felt weren't necessary to the film to get this this message across of this guy and at first it was funny because I was like why is this guy so pissy all the time. I was like, he's got a great life. Yeah. You know, if I was that wealthy and living there, I would I would do the same thing as him. But then like as it went on, I was like, okay, all right. I kind of get it now. Yeah, it's sort of you sort of understand. The more yeah, so you start to yeah, you start to kind of empathize with him. I I would definitely agree that it could have been trimmed up a little bit. Like the uh the little side plot with the, his one buddy and his buddy's girlfriend, like the younger woman, I didn't feel like that was really necessary because that guy wasn't in it that much to begin with. So, yeah. like, I didn't really care about his story, you know? Yeah. But either way, I love the music in this movie. The visuals are breathtaking. I mean, it is one of the most visually pleasing movies I've seen in a long time. Oh, definitely. And just the the composition, the way that they put everything together, it just everything goes together in this movie, and I just fucking loved it. I had so much fun during the party scenes. Like I thought that they were really well shot. And there were just certain like small scenes too. Like there's a there's a scene where it's like a I think it's a tracking shot that goes through this dark room where there's just all these chairs stacked up on one another. And the way that the lighting was done. Oh yeah. The, it was like a you know one of these slow kind of dolly shots yeah. going through this room where all these chairs are stacked up. It just looked so good. I loved it. Yeah. The the lighting in this is just unbelievable. And I like the uh, I like the whole scene towards the end with the saint too. I thought she was really funny. It was really <laughs> bizarre. And I was like, I don't. It was just it it didn't feel like it fit at first because i was like because it was kind of like a 
it was like a goofy, just a weird thing. And I think that that was a young person and old person makeup. But it, it makes a little, it makes much more sense if you think about it. No, it makes sense. It makes sense after they show where that's going. Yeah, because they put so much thought and time and effort into, you know, what's a meaningful life and this and that. And for her, it's extremely simple. And she just flat out tells you what it is and she lives it. It's as simple as that. Right. It's not this huge, giant puzzle that you got to figure out. Very simple. Either way, I highly recommend this if you haven't seen it yet. The Great Beauty. I think it did win the Academy Award for Foreign Language. I saw a fun film called Chef. You know, I almost watched... I I almost went to see it. No, I didn't. I almost went to see it last weekend. My girlfriend went to see it, and I I was just like, no, I don't feel like it. Oh, you should. It's, I know. I, I heard nothing but great things. It's fun. I mean, it's not. It's not an amazing movie by any stretch. It's just. It's a fun, good time. It's just Favreau having fun. And well, I think it's it's all like kind of allegorical of his his life as a filmmaker, right? Oh yeah, it can definitely mirror his directorial career because the last couple years you know he's been sort of making these blockbuster films where i can imagine that he doesn't have the artistic creative control that he would like which is sort of mirrored through he works at this restaurant he's you know top chef all this promise and he's sort of stuck at this stagnant restaurant where he's not allowed to really create his own menu he's just sort of making the same things for people just for like mass consumption and profit 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 and dustin hoffman is just won't let him switch up anything. He wants to try new things. There's a food critic coming in, and he has this whole menu made up for this guy. And at the last second, Dustin Hoffman's like, no, you can't do it. I own the restaurant. You make what you've been making in the last 10 years. People like it. Don't be creative. This isn't the time. So he ends up getting hammered by this food critic, just completely destroyed. He finds out what Twitter is from his son, Signs up for Twitter, thinks that he's, you know, sending a private tweet, but it's not. It goes out to everyone. This whole thing starts, and then he ends up blowing up, and he just loses his shit on the critic, loses his job at the restaurant, and then just goes back to the basics and opens up a food truck with his best bud, John Lake Wasamo, and his son, and boom, he's happy because he's just doing what he likes, goes back to the basics, which is what chef is it's just his old school movie because it plays a lot like made yeah um i kind of wish i would have went to see it last weekend though yeah you should have definitely should have oh well it's a lot of fun the only criticism i have is there's this like superimposed effects of twitter like anytime he would type something out on twitter it would like pop up on the screen mm-hmm. and then when he would send it the little bird would fly away and that would happen all too often and it was just it, it kind of seemed unnecessary and excessive to have mm. all this Twitter shit everywhere, mm. but whatever. It was fun. Yeah, I, I do want to see it. Uh, I saw a documentary that premiered at, actually, I think it premiered at Hot Docs, if I'm not mistaken, but it just screened at the LA Film Festival, which is happening right now. We'll have more coverage on that festival probably all this week and maybe some next week too. I don't know. Uh, but the one I saw was called I Am Big Bird, the Carol Spinney story. 
And it's a documentary about Carol Spinney, the creator of the guy who plays Big Bird. And he also does Oscar the Grouch, also, on Sesame Street. And he's been playing these characters since 1969. (laughs) 40-plus years. Um, And it, you know, a lot of people are going to compare this documentary to the Elmo one, the Being Elmo. But it's unfortunate that this came out after, because this is a better documentary. It gets heavy-handed at certain points. I mean, it's definitely a film designed to kind of tug at your heartstrings, and it succeeds. I mean, it will probably get you choked up during certain parts. Yeah. Uh, but overall, it's it's just a really interesting story. I mean, one of the most interesting things about it to me was to learn how he operates Big Bird, and it's fucking crazy how he does it. Hmm. So, like, inside the suit, he has his one arm is up in inside Big Bird's head, and he uses his hand to control the mouth, obviously. But he has a little string tied to his pinky finger that he moves up and down to control the eyes, to, to make the eyes blink. And then he can't see out of the suit, so he wears this uh, like strap on his stomach that has a monitor on it, and he looks down the whole time at the monitor... So basically, he sees what the cameras see as they're filming. And that's how he, like, is able to see through the suit. Which is, like, crazy to think about that that's, like, I I don't even know if I'd be able to walk around in that thing. Yeah, that seems like a lot to do. Because then, you I mean, you didn't even mention that he controls the arms. And, yeah, and that's the other thing. So one of the arms, his other arm controls one of Big Bird's arms. And there's a little invisible like piece of fishing line that's connected to the other arm so it kind of equalizes it so if he moves one arm down the other arm goes up Uh. so he has to control that too and then he has to read lines so what he does is he actually tapes the lines that he's reading on the inside of the suit as well and there's like a a the glow of the monitor he uses to read the lines. So he's looking through the monitor, controlling the eyes, controlling the mouth, controlling the arm, walking around, and reading the lines. I mean, it's crazy. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, the amount of skill involved. And when you see some of the stuff that he's done over the years, I mean, like, sometimes he's on roller skates, roller skating around. He's got to do some crazy stuff in that suit. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But it's a um, very, very interesting story. It gets into his personal life quite a bit. It gets into his professional life, obviously, and his relationship with Jim Henson. And the fact that he, he, he has to kind of be a loner because he's one of the few characters that just does all the puppet work by himself. Yeah. Like most, most of them are, you know, you've seen it before where they're all kind of grouped together and like one person will be moving one arm and the other person will be moving the other arm and all that stuff. And with, with his characters and Oscars the same way, it's just like a one man show. Yeah. And it, it kind of gets into how he felt like sort of like an outsider with the Hensons, like the whole crew and you know, how he, and then, like, when Big Bird became huge and, like, everybody, Big Bird was everywhere and how he took that fame and stuff. And it's just a really interesting story. 
Also, something I didn't know about, somebody got murdered on his property. Yeah. A few, this just happened like a few years ago. Yeah. So, like, he and his wife hired a stonemason to do some landscaping work. And the stonemason they hired murdered a woman on their property. Okay. And it turned into this, like, big thing where... You know, the news outlets were saying that somebody was killed on Big Bird's property and stuff like that. And Wow. And when they talk about that, it's obviously a very emotional moment in the film. And there's a lot of emotional moments in the film. But, you know, it, this guy's 78 years old, and he's still doing Sesame Street every week. This guy's ridiculous. And he, But the, the, the other thing that they get into in the film is that he does have an apprentice, so when he does get too old to do it anymore, there will be someone that can take over that he's training and all that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, really highly recommend this one. I'm very, very interested in this one. Yeah. It's really, cause I've, you know, obviously I grew up with Sesame street as a kid. Yeah. But just those those puppets for whatever reason, just, intrigue me to no end i know yeah same here i don't know why i don't know why they're just the most interesting things ever this this one is to me at least was far more interesting with than than the being elmo yeah because i hate elmo yeah i will see elmo was kind of uh that was after our time yeah you know we didn't didn't grow up with elmo no and plus it's it's not his fault that you know he got elmo got so damn popular that's true. Which I, you know, great job on his part, but you know there are repercussions to that. Well, there Just the other in, the other interesting thing is the they shit out of Elmo. Yeah, they they do talk about Elmo in this movie, and when Elmo's popularity started surpassing that of Big Bird's, and they were kind of describing it like during this time, Sesame Street started kind of shifting gears in its tone, and it began uh, a trying to appeal more towards like two and three year olds rather than six and seven year olds. And they compared the character of big bird with Elmo and how Elmo appeals to like infants. Whereas big bird just appeals to kids. Yeah. And I think that there's, you know, that's part of it too. Definitely. And just Elmo's fucking annoying. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. Give me a fucking break. Elmo. So, I, I do yeah. recommend checking it out. Don't know when this is getting released yet, but I'm sure that it will get released. There's uh, some really good animation in it. Like uh, they do like the 60s style kind of watercolor animation that you would see in like Schoolhouse Rocks, you know, like that that yeah. that style. Nice. Uh, so there's there's some really cool animation in it and it's just really well made. Fantastic. I look forward to that one. Yeah, we'll have a review for that up at some point soon. Uh, I guess the natural progression to go from Sesame Street is to John Carpenter's They Live. Yes. From 1988. I know that uh, I'm sure that you were extremely excited that I watched this one. This one was for you, Adam. Yeah. This is all for you. I have to watch the thing. I know. And I got it. I'm ready to go. So probably next week we'll be talking about the thing. This one, we talked about it before in the last podcast that, you know, I would probably know most of the things that happened in this film, you know, it would be familiar. And, and my God, was it because I pretty much, I didn't realize that 
I'd say like 60% of the film's dialogue has been sampled in hip hop like everywhere. Oh, yeah. So I've I've heard like almost all the dialogue from this movie and it was just constantly me like as soon as it would happen I would be like, "Oh, that's from that song." Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's what that's from. So it was just constantly that, you know, the obey artwork, the the back alley brawl which I knew about. There's just there's so much that I knew, but the interesting thing was is I don't know what context they're in. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know what the back alley brawl is all about. I do know that it's like five minutes long and it's just ridiculous in length. <laughs> but I don't, you know, I don't know what the fight's about. I just figured that it was, you know, Roddy Piper and the villain fighting. Oh, no. No. <laughs> oh, no. Are you fucking kidding me? It's. Two guys that are sort of friends, and I number one, I didn't even know Roddy Piper's fucking homeless in this. I, you know, I read it as down on his luck, like construction worker. I didn't know they meant straight up homeless yeah, person, vagrant. Yeah, <laughs> living in a shanty town. So they're pseudo friends, or whatever title they want to tack on that. And it's all because he won't try on sunglasses. Yep. I. I he did not want to put on those shades, man. He didn't want to do it. And I'm just thinking, it's not it's not going to hurt you. You just pop them on real quick. You either see what Piper sees, or you don't see anything, and you're like, okay, I was right. This guy's crazy. I need to get the fuck out of here. Like, it's not, it's not going to take up that much time in your day. It's like two seconds. And it's just funny how it, it, you know, it ends up boiling down to Piper just screaming, put them on. And continuously picking them up. <laughs> and you just lose it after a while. It's just, it's unbelievable. It's so hilarious. But unfortunately for me, everything went downhill after that sequence. Everything up until that point was just, it was amazing. The camera work surprised the hell out of me. I didn't know that it was so competently made with all the, the dolly work and the panning and scanning. It's just, it's unbelievable. I was like completely hooked. And then after the fight scene, it just sort of like like that five minute fight scene just exhausted the entire film. After that point, yeah, I and, I, I do agree. I mean, I still love the movie, but yeah, yeah, I, I just, do agree with you there. It was, it was like because the fight was like building me up. Like this is getting amazing. <laughs> I can't wait for more. And then it just dropped off like crazy after that. And it was it was really disappointing. But up until that point, it's it's fantastic. The bubblegum line, which I don't understand why that's so famous, because it's really fucking stupid. It is stupid. It, uh, it doesn't even really make sense. No, it's fucking retarded. Like he, it it would make sense if I saw him at any point in the film chewing bubblegum. Well, well, also, in the movie, it's just a little throwaway line. Like yeah. it's not even, you know, it's not like they make a big deal out of that line. I know, and that's what I was like, oh, what context does he say this line in? It, and it has so, to be that just Duke it's hilarious. Nukem. It has to be that Duke Nukem picked it up for some reason and just... It's just hilarious that it it's, it's him dipping into a bank and everyone's just like, what the fuck? He has guns. And he's he just says that line for some reason and then just starts blasting people in the face. But my favorite part is when he, he first puts on the glasses. And start seeing everything. And the way that they did that was fantastic with the black and white. Love it. Yeah, it's it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And I just love when he goes into whatever store that is. 
and just how he reacts to everything <laughs> and the formaldehyde face when he oh my god and then he like dick van dykes all over the place just fucking tripping over everything <laughs> it's i just love it that's exactly how someone should respond yeah to finding all of those things out he just he loses it this, this is why movies like they live is why i love john carpenter because i feel like his movies are all different like there's there's just nothing like they live you know just like there's nothing yeah. like big trouble in little china like i feel like his movies were they all had such a unique voice to them i just i love john carpenter man just fucking love him and it's you know this is one of those movies uh, uh sort of akin to uh video drum where it sort of makes more sense nowadays mm-hmm. or it's more relevant now oh yeah than it was back then but yeah man i had so much fun but they live unfortunately though like i said after that after the fight which is amazing but after that it's just sort of you know them walking down corridors shooting people just over and over again uh, I don't really have anything else I wanted to mention. I did see a movie called The Art of the Steel on Netflix. Which with, I heard you loved. With uh, Kurt Russell. Oh. A little, little Carpenter tie-in there. Nice. But, uh... Yeah, great. I just It's it, basically yeah, an yeah. Ocean's Eleven ripoff. It has this terrible, like, voiceover work, this narration throughout the whole movie that is just awful. Mm-hmm. Kurt Russell is not very good in it. Matt Dillon is terrible in it. Jay Baruchel is more Wait, annoying than usual in it. So Matt Damon's actually in this? No, Matt Dillon. Oh, I thought you said Matt Damon. Yeah, no, no, no. So they not, even tried to. So they actually tried to get someone that name sort of sounds familiar. Yeah. To the Eleven's <laughs> movie. Yeah. It's uh so basically it's just about a a group of people that that set up this this heist this art heist and it's just it's bad like a lot of the stuff that happens is pretty illogical and it's very very much just an oceans clone and a poorly made one at that Mm. so do not recommend it this was one of these that it took me like three three days to see the whole thing because i'd put it on (laughs) at night when i was in bed falling asleep and then I'd fall asleep, and then the next night I'd put it on again. Yeah, this this sounds like one of those where you like you force yourself to finish it. It was a boredom watch, or it was a it was a me fall it was a falling asleep watch for me. Uh, those are the best. Yeah, and it's so it's very rare. It's also very rare that I watch part of a movie and don't finish it. So yeah. I just kind of felt obligated to just put it on. Gotcha. Gotcha. It sounds awful. Yeah, it is. Good. That's all I have. I'm done. I'm all ready right. to jump into... There is, there is one thing that I do want to point out, which is the website nobudge.com. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of this website? Yes. Okay. So, for a limited time, they do have Alex Ross Perry's debut film in Polex, which is playing up until Tuesday which this one's kind of hard to find. I've been waiting. Uh, hopefully I have time to fit this in somehow since I love the color wheel so much. So just throwing that out there. It's only up until the 17th. Mm. 
and you can stream it for free. There you go. Alex Ross Perry. Yeah, do it. All right, let's go ahead and jump into our first review of the day. Hell, Ian. So this is written and directed by Kat Candler. I have a synopsis here. When motocross and heavy metal obsessed 13-year-old Jacob's increasing delinquent behavior forces CPS to place his little brother Wes with his aunt Jacob and his emotionally absent father Hollis must finally take responsibility for their actions for each other and for each other in order to bring Wes home. Now, a couple of things I want to mention before we get into this. First, I predicted last week that you were not going to like this movie. Looks like I was correct in that. Second, I saw this movie at Sundance and I tried, I was going to try to watch it again just to refresh myself. And uh, historically, when I see movies at festivals, I generally like them more because of the environment and all of that. And I've noticed that usually when I see movies at festivals, I rate them at least one point higher than what I Mm. would normally. Okay. However, I didn't have time to rewatch this because of the World Cup. So I'm going off of my initial viewing at Sundance on this. Okay. Just a, you know, like a, just throwing that out there. A little disclaimer, if you will. So I have a review for this up on the site. We'll start with you, Kevin. What did you think of, oh, I'm sorry. I should mention who is in this damn movie. (laughs) It stars Aaron Paul, Juliette Lewis, and Josh Wiggins, and the, uh, the youngest boy, Wes, is played by Deke Garner. So, Kevin, what do you think? Honestly, I wish that I had something to say, and I really have nothing. <laughs> I This is so generic, so just boring, just more of the same. I'm, I'm just getting tired of these. I'm getting it, tired of these films. It's Yeah, it's funny because... Uh, you know, I have the IMDb page pulled up here, and in the background is a big um, ad for Joe, which comes out on DVD and Blu-ray <laughs> this week. And it's like the same. It looks, like, it looks the same. <laughs> it looks the exact same. It's it's just, I mean, it's formulaic. It's one of those coming-of-age dramas. Kid's a little bit of a delinquent. In this case, he's an arsonist. And he's obsessed with motocross. Whenever it seems fit to throw that in there, you got your shaky handheld camera work, which occasionally will throw some lens flare in there. Got the tight shots of the characters dealing with suppressed feelings, not talking about them, but just, you know, turning their beer glass or whatever it is. And then they have that music to let you know that these things are important. And you just, I don't care. I was, I did not want to watch this. This this podcast was the only reason I finished this movie. Uh, well, I actually liked this quite a bit. Again, on my initial viewing at Sundance, and I, the thing about these kinds of movies is they they always strike a chord with me. Like I I think that I'm just I don't know. Like I just have a soft spot for these types of movies. I liked Joe a lot, and I know you didn't you weren't thrilled with that one either. This Joe was much better than this. Joe actually had some like personality. I saw this this one actually before I saw Joe, and I, I think I ended up in my reviews. I think I scored them the same. I think I gave both of them like an eight out of ten or something. But 
I like this. Uh, I, I thought Aaron Paul did a really good job in this. I like Aaron Paul, so it was it was nice to see him and in, in right. other things other than Breaking Bad and uh, Need for Speed. <laughs> <laughs> and I like the I like the two kids. I thought that they did a solid job. I just think it didn't it didn't uh, nothing struck me nothing moved me at all. Like there's normally you know if if there's nothing story wise. I at least have some other avenue, you know, like performances to talk about. And the performances here, they're decent, but there's nothing that makes me, you know, jump out of my seat and applaud and have all this gushing praise for. They're just sort of serviceable. And then the only other avenue that I have really is the technical aspects, which to me are just as generic as the story is. These movies are really difficult for me because they move me in no way whatsoever. There's not anything that I really hate about the movie that I can latch on and just rip apart. But there's nothing that I can praise either. I'm just in the middle, indifferent as can be. I'm not going to remember anything about this movie. Mm -hmm. This is completely forgettable. It's. Uh, I think it's unfortunate that this one came out when it did. I, I think that if it came out before the large number of movies like this, yeah, I think they, that maybe it would have made a, a bigger impact. Yeah, because I'll def- I'll be honest that that's playing a big part of this. I'm just getting sick and tired of these coming of age dramas. They they all play out the same, and this one's no different. Well, I, I like this one quite a bit. I do like these types of movies like i said before but i also like these kind of family dramas as well so it it did kind of play into my hand the whole time i like the music uh as well and i just i like the setting i like movies that take place in that type that setting so i was into that i was a little underwhelmed with the end um not like the kind of climax but like the very end Mm -hmm. uh it felt a little too hollywood to me yes yeah so i wasn't really into that uh but overall i did like it now i i will say this as much as i like these kinds of movies like mud and joe and hellion uh i'm done with it like <laughs> this is it hellion is is the end of it for me uh you had room for one more i had room for and one now, more and that now was it. it's like no i'm done please no more of this I mean, technically, Joe was the last one of these that I saw. So, technically, oh, okay. Joe is that's it for Joe, me. But Joe was the end. Yeah. Cage, Cage killed it for you. And I, and I like that movie too. I like Mud. I like this. I like Joe. I like I like all of them quite a bit. But you are right. It's enough. All right. I I mean, honestly, are you going to remember? I'm I'm going to wait and do like a little experiment. I'm going to like quiz you in like six months' time. One hellion to see if you remember. Well, I, I I saw it in January, so I'm pretty far you, removed. Oh yeah, I'm six months removed from it, and I still remember. I don't remember specifics, but I remember the broad strokes. <laughs> the movie's nothing but broad strokes. There's <laughs> <laughs> no fucking development at all, and I feel like an asshole because I, you know, I was really looking forward to this because I enjoyed. Candler's other work and I'm still holding out for the the full length black metal because I just that 
is a more interesting story to me. Right. So I'm st- still looking forward to this one, but this one, this the Hellion was just a letdown. Well, I I kind of hope that I didn't see this, you know, that I didn't have this going into black metal when that finally comes out. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it if it says anything, I had the opportunity to to rewatch this and I didn't. So (laughs) (laughs) it was there. I will say, though, I have a really hard time rewatching movies, especially ones as dull as this one. But I really liked this. I, re- I at least I remember really liking this. But apparently I didn't. Apparently I didn't really like it. It was just like yeah. some sort of, you know, Sundance uh, facade that that I put over myself. You had that Sundance trance going. I had on. Sundance fever. <laughs> had that Sundance fever. That's right, man. Where you just gush about everything because you're just so happy to be there, and you're having so much fun. It's true. And you don't I mean, want to, I mean the same thing. I mean, you, you don't. Yeah, you don't want to be miserable when you're at Sundance. You want to be like writing up reviews where you're tearing into movies. You want to have a good time. I think. I think next year's Sundance will be different. Yeah, you just want to bang out a quick review, say some nice things, and then go get yourself a turkey sandwich and a beer. <laughs> right. <laughs> at least that's what I do. Uh, I don't know about you. Yeah. So it depends. It depends. <laughs> It's. I think that a lot of times it's like I want to like movies. It's like I want I to like. I know. And that's what. Movies. That's what I'm saying. Like I, I. I. feel bad. I feel bad. Like I found myself as I was watching it to like, trying to talk myself into like this isn't that bad. It's not that bad. You can like this. You're not going to see bad things. But at, at the end, no, I couldn't do it. Well, I'm going to stand by my initial thoughts and say that i do uh still like this movie so take that for what you will i mean i still recommend checking it out it's i think the performances are good and i think that it feels very real to me like it feels like a realistic movie with the way that these kids act their their behavior feels very real to me like i said it's that's the main thing that it has going for it. The performances, they're good. They're good performances. They're not, you know, stand out, oh my god, this is one of the best performances of the year, but they're all they're all solid. And that's really that's it for me at least. Okay. Well, there you have it. <laughs> I think I gave in my initial review Hellion an 8 out of 10. If I were to redo it, and I may rewatch this and rescore it at some point, but I, I don't know if I will. What are you going to give it out of 10? I give it a 4. A 4? Ouch. 4. Mm, that's below average. Yeah, because it's because it's so average. It's so average that it's below average? Exactly. Mm. If that makes sense. Okay, well, Hellion is playing in select cities and video on demand right now. Let's talk about some 22 Jump Street. So this is directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Stars Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill. Uh, Ice Cube is also in there. And uh, Jillian Bell. I have a synopsis here. After making their way through high school twice, big changes are in store for Officer Schmidt and Jenko when they go deep undercover at a local college. Now, I didn't read your review because you just posted it up this morning. But I'll start off by saying I loved... 22 Jump Street. Loved it. I loved it. 
I thought that it was clever. It was everything that I expected it to be. It was hysterically funny. It was clever. Uh, it was more. It was more goofy. It was more of a goof spoof than I expected. It was. It, it felt like more of a spoof than the first one, which is not necessarily a bad thing because you know we've been. I feel like recently we've been talking a lot about goof spoofs. Oh, and, we and, it we've been goof spoofing like crazy lately. And just a word of advice to Seth MacFarlane. This is how you make a goof spoof. It was, it felt like understated, but like the, the, the ridiculous jokes were there and the entire movie was making fun of itself. Constantly. The movie in and of itself was a spoof. They know, they know that this is ridiculous. And really, the only reason they're making it is because people wanted it so badly. And that's the joke. The, the yeah. entire movie. The movie itself is a joke. And that's that's what I love about this movie, is everything was playing into just, that joke. They, uh, they, they go over so much. And I just love the, you know, all these sequel tropes that they throw in. Oh, yeah. That they subvert with, you know, the red herring tattoo. Mm-hmm. And the whole like the budget constraints that happened towards the end of the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, you know, he, it's that he's faced with the choice of going through the parking lot or going through the sculpture garden <laughs> and he picks the sculpture garden. And then he points out that he's like, it seems like they're doing it on purpose. Like they're running into the sculptures on purpose. I mean, it looks cool, but it's really wasteful. Just those types of things where they just, they constantly make fun of themselves and this entire idea. And that's the, beauty of it is they know it's ridiculous they know that this shouldn't have been a success at all it looked like failure from phase one somehow it blew everyone away and here we are doing a sequel and they just they do the same thing over and they tell you constantly that they're doing the same exact thing don't get your expectations up but they do throw in these little bits that just work perfectly yeah, I mean, it, it basically goes into what Nick Offerman says at the beginning. Yeah, he, he goes, gives, yeah, he do gives the exact thing. same thing. And he just talks about how the, you know, the budget was doubled because they have this idea that, you know, more money automatically creates more profit. Yeah. And then at one point they talk about it later, they're like, you had the expensive chase at the beginning, you had this ridiculous setup that we have. You know, it's some Iron Man shit going on in their office. You know, where Ice Cube's office looks like a giant ice cube. And when he says, and when he says he's wearing like five hundred dollars shoes, he's like, you can't even see him. Yeah, just uh, the ridiculous things that go into making these big budget movies, and they just they handle it all wonderfully. I I just I had so much fun with it, and that's that's what I liked about it is that it was it was no bullshit. You know, it was refreshing to see him like, we're just dicking around. This is what you guys wanted, so that's what we're doing. And and the thing is, though, it really did have, as much as they were making fun of themselves, it had a really fun story, too. I mean, the the plot was fun, and it goes to some really fun, really funny places, even though it's essentially the same thing. <laughs> it's the same fucking they just do it. They do it in a new and interesting way, like... First of all, Channing Tatum's character meets 
somebody who's exactly like him and he becomes friends with them which the the initial scene when he first met the guy when they're at the the football <laughs> thing and he's doing the q-tip thing and Jonah Hill says it's like an odd time to be q-tipping it was just uh, so weird and the, just that whole interaction when he first met met yeah, that because, guy because the other guy because what's the other guy's name zook zook yeah yeah played by wyatt russell yeah he's eating a ham sandwich for some reason <laughs> like why one guy's q-tip and the other guy's eating a ham sandwich and they're at football practice what the fuck is going on and that's how they meet and they just they fall in love and it's best friends forever yeah, that, I just and I do like what they did with the whole bromance and how they did oh, yeah. the bromance between. Oh yeah, Hill I mean and that, that's what this this whole movie is about the relationship between Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum and their their rocky romance that they have yeah. going on. Yeah. Jonah Hill has self confidence issues because he can't parkour. <laughs> Channing Tatum, and and know, see that's finally the thing. That's what make this makes this a good spoof because there's so many dumb jokes that they put into this movie that shouldn't work that that should not be funny. None of this yet, should work. Yet None it is it. funny. None of this. Both like the of these like films shouldn't work at like all. Like the whole thing where he's like, make sure you yell something cool when you throw that, and he throws and he goes something cool. <laughs> like that shouldn't be funny, but it is. The scene where Jonah Hill shoots the the grappling hook and is slowly <laughs> raising himself up and they show Channing Tatum like scaling the walls like that probably shouldn't be funny to me no but it is because they did they cut it up perfectly and I, just uh, Channing Tatum yelling at him to hurry up the 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 fight sequence between Jonah Hill and Julian Bell was great too it did was you, just so awkward and weird i you know what my favorite part about that was which i don't know if you noticed can you guess what my favorite part was? The guy in the background yes. just what sitting the there. That guy made it even <laughs> yes. better. He's just sitting in the corner. And he had this he had a straight face the whole time. He has this look of what the hell's going on? What what am I watching? Yep. What's happening? Yep. I love I, I love I that just, part. I, I constantly laughed at that guy. Yep. I will I will agree with you completely. A lot of people are talking about the Channing Tatum freak out scene towards the end. Yeah, Which, I mean, was that your theater? Is that where everyone lost it? Oh, everybody. Everyone lost it, and yeah, my theater as well. Everybody lost it during that scene, which it was a funny scene, I will it agree. Was. I it's, didn't think it, that it was the funniest no. moment in the whole movie, but it was great because just to see Channing Tatum freak out like that was, it was just funny. The run, and the thing that sort of heightened it was that just that second pause before he realizes it, before he puts it together, yeah. just the look on his face. And they make the ding sound. <laughs> yeah. And then he loses it, just makes it even better. Uh, there, was I, also, there was also a couple other things that were unfortunate, which I don't know if your theater had this as well. There was a couple references that just... just People because, didn't get? No, because of bad timing. I'm talking about the Tracy Morgan... Impression. Oh, the uh, yeah, and the Maya Angelou. Yeah, that's just that that's was weird. Yeah, because as soon as the the Tracy Morgan uh, impression happened, like <laughs> nervous the, laughter. <laughs> no, the entire my entire theater just went oh, it was just like oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. Did you catch the uh, the Benny Hill reference? Yes. Nobody I, in my theater caught that at all. Really? I was the only one. 
I I thoroughly enjoyed the White House Down joke at the very the beginning. White House Down <laughs> joke, the uh, NWA joke. Uh, Ice Cube getting angry about green beans. That that scene, that like there were there were quite a number of scenes that made me laugh, like to the point of the silent laugh. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And one of those scenes that I can remember was that the entire dinner sequence. I'm not gonna d- don't give away how that. Yeah what the cause of that is because it was a surprise to me when they revealed but again, that. Yeah. Again, that's just, that's Lord and Miller doing, you know, it's this whole film is essentially fan service where they're just like, you want ice cube getting angry. Here's a scene where we just let ice cube go. And it was just, just, just let him go. The whole, that whole dinner sequence, not just the, the ice cube freak out, but before, like right before that, when they're all sitting there and he's just staring at him. I mean, it was just so funny to me. I thought it was it was great. I'm just him him desperately wanting green beans for whatever reason. <laughs> it's just the funniest thing I've ever. Oh god! I've ever, oh my god! He's just so angry about the the rations on those green beans. Yeah. Yep. And then just tearing that turkey apart. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I'll tell you, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. I mean, they are just, they're unstoppable. They take these, I, I want them to do that with every movie they make. Just take a property that just, no one thinks will ever work and then just make it work. Just do it. Like, I just, I don't even understand how this is happening. And have you seen the trailer for the their show that they have that's coming out on uh, Fox with um, Will Forte? No. It's called uh, The Last Man on Earth. Okay. And it's going to be, if I'm not mistaken, it's going to be a 10-episode miniseries where Will Forte is the only, he's the last human being on Earth. Fantastic. And it's just about what he does. That's exciting. Yeah, because watch the trailer and you'll get excited. There's another Fox show coming out called the Lucas Brothers Moving Company, which is the two twins. Oh yeah, across the hall. No, that, that's the other thing I wanted to mention. That Those that scene, that initial scene when they first met those twins, and they oh did that whole <laughs> bit where they were repeating. They're both saying the same thing, and then when Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum tried to do it, <laughs> Jonah Hill ends with quicksand. <laughs> so, I just love that Tatum yells paperclip and then words, <laughs> words. Uh, they I, were re- they were really funny. They're the, really funny, and especially at the end, the, the whole mm-hmm. yeah. I know, know what you're talking about. Oh my god, I, they I can't wait for that show. And the fact that on the show, because in real life, okay, they're the Lucas brothers, they're Kenny and Keith, and I do enjoy that on the show. One of them is called Keith, <laughs> because that's that's what I call my brother. So I enjoy that. I'm definitely looking for. It looks like. This movie's going to infiltrate Fox coming up. That could be uh, could be very cool. With Phil Lord and Miller's show and then the Lucas Brothers show. I mean, I feel like everything they do is just great. I mean, they they did the they directed the pilot for Brooklyn Nine Nine as well, which I think that that show is incredible. Uh, I I still haven't gotten on that show yet. I oh, do. dude, it is. Oh. I also enjoyed when there's a, you know, there's a scene where they, where they trip on the drug finally. Oh yeah. Which I, I couldn't wait for. 
and yeah. one has a good trip, one has a bad trip. I love that scene. I and was... just the fact that Jonah Hill's bad trip involves the music of Creed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and how he kept trying to get over I- into the good trip. And just Cree just kept playing. Yeah, I thought that that, that scene was great. Because I was wondering, I was wondering where they were going to go with it. And just uh, the scene when they, before that they, before they were tripping, when they had their, their uh, focus, their extreme focus. Yeah. And Channing Tatum kept drilling the holes. <laughs> and then he's finally, I, I, I ran out of cameras like five minutes ago. I was a little disappointed by the trip, though. Like, I thought that there was, I felt that that was a missed opportunity, especially the focus part, because it was just essentially them going, I'm so focused. Yeah. And, like, that's all it was for, like, a couple minutes. And it's like, oh, it's such a missed opportunity. Yeah, a couple missed opportunities there. They could have, they could have done more with that. But, but overall, they do enough. Overall, yeah, still really fun. A lot, a lot, a lot of action in this. There were several car chases. Felt like more action than in the first one. But that's how you got to deal with a sequel. Yeah, you got to up the ante. More explosions, more shootouts. Uh, Yeah, and I love that the the fact that the explosions still happen when they shouldn't happen. Yeah, I love that they (laughs) kept that going. And I love the whole. uh, Well, I I guess it's not a spoiler. The the end credits when they are going over like. 24 jump street yeah they get (laughs) they let they allow them to get all of it out of their system yeah i think what did they go through like 30 different jump streets at least at least 30 some great cameos in this as well i'm not gonna say who or anything because it'd be a nice surprise oh good times oh yeah that's what what you need i I really really enjoyed this one um i also like how they kept pointing out the fact that they looked old I know they, everybody, and, and like as soon as they infiltrated the college, like the very first person that Channing or that uh, Jonah Hill tries to talk to, he's like, "You're a cop." It's like you're still wearing your badge, and then Jonah Hill, yeah, quickly checks to see if he fucked up and wore his badge. I did. However, I think Julian Bell's character Mercedes just is a bit too much with the old jokes. Uh, they were, yeah. I mean. It's just like it, it, it was, was just like her trying every single old joke that she could come up with. A lot of this film did feel unscripted as well. Like there, it just felt like there was a lot of ad libbing going on. Yeah. I think Julian Bell's really funny. I she's one of the few reasons that I sometimes watch Workaholics. Oh, okay. So yeah, she's really funny in Workaholics. Okay, I'll have to check that out. I always hear things about Workaholics. It's hit or miss. Hit or miss. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the dialogue is funny, but some of the stuff is a little too lowbrow, dude bro type dude. of st- stuff for me. Dude bros. Yeah. Dude bros. We should know. <laughs> we should know. Yep. Should know. <laughs> we should know. Just a couple of dude bros shooting the shit about movies. Yeah, man. All right. Uh, final thoughts on... 21 Jump Street, you gave it a 7 out of 10, is that correct? I gave it a 7 out of 10. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Ooh. Go 8. Trying to one-up me. Yeah. I just, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I can't remember the last time a movie made me laugh that much. And that's really what does it. Yeah. All right, let's go over some predictions. Last week, we said How to Train Your Dragon 2, which 
uh, I do plan on seeing today, so I will be reporting back on that next week. I just haven't had time. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, I do. I do really want to see it. Um, you said ninety. I said ninety-three. Actual ninety-two. God damn it! On How to Train Your Dragon two, twenty-two Jump Street. You said ninety. I said eighty-nine. Actual eighty-three. Damn it! Yep, that's two for me. Just a little payback for you winning in the uh, World Cup thing. What are, What are the standings in our movie picks? Oh, I don't keep track. I haven't. Oh, kept, okay. I haven't kept track of that for like a year. Eventually, I just so just like you know what we Fuck it. Do, we do it for no. We'll just do it for fun. Just do it week to week. I don't know. I like predicting them. I think it's fun. But we're like nominated for awards now and stuff. I think we should take ourselves a bit more seriously. Uh, don't see that happening. Good. Don't see it happening. Correct. Next answer. week we have Think Like a Man Two. Now I don't know how the first one was received. Uh, I seem to think that it was like not not too bad. I should know that since we're having Ryan watch that this week. You should know it, but 53. Okay, so... It's in the middle. Now, what are you thinking on the second one? Second one, I'm thinking like a 48. 48? I'm going to say... I'm going to say 42 on that. Yeah. And now we have Jersey Boys. Something tells me... Something tells me that this will not be well-received. It better not be. So I'm going to say, I'll say 48 on that one. And I think that that is a generous prediction. I'm going to say 42. Ooh, switching it up. Yeah. All right. In limited release next week, we have Third Person, which uh, I think that's uh, one of these like ensemble pieces with like Franco's in it. And I think Liam Neeson and Mila Kunis. Maybe you said Franco and I checked out. Yeah. Uh, apparently it's not very good. It has a very low score right now in Rotten Tomatoes. We also have Venus and fur, which is the latest Polanski. I kind of wish you would stop doing, uh, adaptations of plays. I'm just, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not really looking forward to it. No, like, like, like when carnage came out, I wasn't, I wasn't looking forward to that one either. And I was pleasantly surprised, but the, the only reason that that movie worked is the actors that he got to be in. Yeah, that was the only reason I watched it was to see John C. Riley and Christoph Waltz. And this one, like, uh, I I don't think I'm going to see it. It doesn't appeal to me whatsoever. I'm not looking forward to it at all. Like, if a movie's going to take place in one setting, it's got to be something that's really going to hold my attention. Because I start to feel, like, antsy. I feel impatient. Yeah, like... Ice Cube demanding more green beans. <laughs> See, I could watch that. I could watch that for yeah. 90 minutes. Ice Cube at a buffet, freaking mm-hmm. out. Because they ran out of green beans. And it becomes this like tense thriller where they're trying, they're waiting on the vegetable delivery um, yeah. before, before Ice that. Cube loses it and starts beating the shit out of people. Yeah, I'd see that. Who wouldn't? Uh, we also have Coherence, which I'm pretty excited to see that one. It's like a low-budget science fiction movie i think i've actually heard decent things about this one. yeah I'm, I'm very curious to see that we will have a review for that one up a summer's tale which i don't know anything about uh code black which we we already have a review for that one up that's about the that's the documentary that takes place in the emergency room okay looks interesting it has a really cool website if you check out the website 
for that. I don't know the actual address, but <laughs> if figure you find it, it, figure it out. On your it's own. probably like codeblack.com or codeblack movie. Uh, we also have Miss Lovely, which we will have a review for that up to. I think I said at one point, I don't know if it was on the air or not, that that was a documentary, and I was wrong. It is not a documentary. It's it is about uh, like underground exploitation movies in India, but it's it's a narrative. It's not. Oh, okay. It's not a documentary. It looks it looks pretty interesting though. So, uh, and then finally we have the moment. Oh, don't know anything about that. Next week on video on demand, only one to mention, and that's Venus and Fur. And DVD and Blu-ray releases next week. We have 13 Sins, which is the English remake of uh, 13 Zametti, the, the Thai film. Almost Human, which is a low-budget science fiction horror film that a lot of people are talking about it, but I was not a big fan. Okay. The Final Member. That's that's the one, uh, Almost Human, is the one that has like the 20 minutes of uh, ending ending credits. Oh, jeez. The Final Member, which is the documentary about penises. Penises. Pinar? Pinai. Pinar. It's worth checking out. It sounds like it would just be kind of gross, and it has some gross moments, but it's a very touching story. The Grand Budapest Hotel. Kevin, not yep. a fan. I was a pretty big mm. fan. Nope. I can, I can pass on that one. Joe. Kevin's not a fan. I was a pretty big fan. You should watch it just to see Cage. Just to see Cage doing Cage. You know what I mean? But wouldn't you say that that was a better performance than what he normally has been doing lately? Yeah. No, I just had the the issues with the tone. Uh, We also have The Machine, which is another science fiction film. I I did see this. It's not great. Uh, A Measure of the Sin, which... We have a quote on the DVD cover of that, so check that one out. Shot in 16 millimeter. If you watch the trailer for that, you'll swear that it was an old movie. And uh, they did a really good job of making it look old. Dude, you already got your your quote on the DVD cover. (laughs) Chill out. Well, here's the thing. Honestly, I didn't think too much of the movie. I look back. I'm just trying to point out things as a podcasting superstar to help you. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. That's what what I'm here for. I appreciate that. Finally, we have Walk of Shame. Don't recommend Mm it. No. That sounds awful. I didn't see it, but I heard nothing but bad things. So. Mm. All right. Well, I think that that'll wrap it up. Any criterions? We got two criterions. Two. First one is Peter Davis's Hearts and Minds documentary from 1974 which is an unflinching look at uh, the U.S.'s involvement in Vietnam, mm. which I've been, I've been wanting to see this for a long time, but I don't, just, I don't know if I can handle it. There's, a, there's a, a documentary about Vietnam that premiered at Sundance. I think it's called like Last Days of Vietnam or something like that that uses all archival footage. And I heard mm. that it was pretty good. This one's considered the most important documentary dealing with vietnam oh i thought you were gonna say like ever because there's like a pause there and i was like wait the most important documentary ever ever made (laughs) i should have just left it open i shouldn't have finished it 
just kept you hanging. And then there's one more, which is Judix from 1963, which I talked about before, because I I ended up getting the 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 Masters of Cinema version from the UK, but now it's come it's coming out on Criterion. This one is. It's an interesting film. It's a bit of a mess. It's like a mixture of 60s modernism with like silent film era techniques. And he sort of melds the two. It does have one of the coolest like character intros that I've ever seen. So it's got that going for it Mm. with this crime, crime fighting magician, crime fighting magician. Yeah. You fucking heard right. That sounds interesting. You're damn right. It is. It's like, uh, Doctor Strange. Did you hear that Scott Derrickson is going to be directing the Doctor Strange movie for Marvel? No, I did not hear that. Do you know who Scott Derrickson is? I have no idea who that is. He's the director of Sinister. I figured. He's the director of Sinister. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's 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 interesting. I think it's very interesting. That's interesting. They it, the whole thing should be shot on old film. Well, I hope they do make it a horror movie. I mean, that's all the dude does. He did the exorcism of emily rose and then he did uh he did that he did sinister and then now he has one coming out this summer the what's it called the one with eric banna oh yeah deliver us deliver us from evil yeah yeah he did do the uh that's interesting he did do the um what you call it day the earth stood still the one the remake with keanu reeves oh okay Uh, that that i guess would not be That'd be more of a science fiction than a horror, but... Yeah. Well, I think that that will wrap it up. Be sure to send your questions to podcast at filmpulse.net. We'll be sure to answer them on the show. Follow us on Twitter, at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie. That's all you got. That's all you got. Sticks in my nose in them, but my face pasted to linoleum. Kitchen floor shit, some college dorm shit. Face down in a buzzed-in carpet. Get chicks at the farmer's market. White girls buy produce. Take them home, make them drink great. Right. Oh, cracking them open. Cracking it open.